prisons are designed to be oppressive and they're designed to crush the spirit. And if there's a way that we can go in there and, and foster spirit to grow, what a powerful, powerful thing that is. leads the world in prisoners with 2.2 million people in jail and more than 4.8 million on parole. No nation tops that, not China with 1.7 million, not Russia with 670,000. We not only have the highest number of prisoners, we have the highest percentage of people in prison or jail. In the US, 702 out of every 100,000 people were in prison or jail in 2013. Cuba has 510 per 100,000. Russia, 467, and Iran, 290. Black and Latino Americans have been especially hard hit. They form over 39% of the prison population. One in every three black men is expected to serve time during their lives, at least under our current criminal justice system. And approximately half of all inmates are there for violating drug prohibition laws. How is it that America, supposedly the beacon of freedom and democracy for the rest of the world, has more prisoners than any police state? Pagans in prison are having their civil liberties absolutely stomped on every day. There's a tremendous disconnect between justice system and justice. Uh, the, the pagans are overly oppressed compared to any other religion that uh, you'll encounter in the prison system. Uh, I started doing this work in 2004, um, doing lots of letter writing, and I heard story after story from the uh, prisoners that they were not allowed to uh, gather, they were not allowed to uh, practice their religion, uh, gather on holy days, they were not allowed to wear any symbolism, whereas every other uh, mainstream religion, there was tremendous amounts of opportunity for them to gather, to have uh, support from the outer community, to wear uh, symbols, to get books, uh, materials, none of that was allowed to pagans in many, many prisons across the country. Uh, I will have to say, here in Maine, it's way, way better than most of the rest of the country, but it's really important for the pagan community to realize just how oppressive it is. It is not uh, uh, remotely, uh, has any sense of equality to it, and it's, it's really detrimental to the pagans who are trying to uh, practice their uh, religion and their civil liberties within the prison system.
does very, very well is disconnects people from community. And then once you're in there, if you try to start a community, it's pushed out, it's squashed, it's discouraged. Um, and I just think that that is absolutely detrimental to our culture, that we have this many people in prison and we're dropping them back into society without any support network. Um, one of the men I work with has been in and out since he was a young teenager. And the last time he got out, he did not know how to function. So there he is back in there. And that brings us to private prisons as well, that there has to be um, people to uh, to get into the prisons in order to for the private prisons to make their money. Um, so the institutionalization, so I go back to um, poverty and families and single parents and lack of support for, for the community um, that um, allowed that child to get into trouble and then continually you know, end up institutionalized. Um, but I have to say that that particular person also brings me a ray of hope because he came to a spiritual understanding on his own um, and has worked hard to change his perception of the world and himself into a positive way. So that's really why I'm there is those one-on-one -on -one moments um, as well as education um, because we're not only dealing with the prisons, we're dealing with the system which is an arm of the state. So actually it's another way to educate the state on the reality of that. Much of it really is due to poverty. Uh, I know I work with one young man uh, who started going into the juvenile hall at like 11. Um, and he was stealing because there was no food at home. Um, his mother was a, a, an alcoholic and there was no father about, and it was just a terrible situation. And that continued right into adulthood, just in and out of the system. Uh, and so that story is repeated all the time, all across the country. Uh, and it doesn't matter what religion we're talking about. kids or when people that are incarcerated have that connection and they can get out into the community, there's got to be something there for them. I can remember one kid just, I, I started a creative writing group at the facility which was very short-lived because of staffing, which is another issue in prisons. Um, but in any case, he was a brilliant, just a brilliant writer. Um, very, very visceral, very um, intense writing style, and I was just amazed by um, the intelligence and um, just artistic expression in, in everything he wrote. And, uh, you know, he was in the middle of a divorce with his wife. Um, he got out and they basically dropped him off. They gave him a bus ticket to Portland and dropped, he got off in the middle of Portland with no home, no job, no services set up. He had no probation. Um, so, you know, basically we just took this very intelligent, brilliant guy and dropped him in the middle of Portland and said, good luck, 
I think they gave him $20. <laughs> It's kind of where the rubber meets the road um, with uh, the government and people's personal religions. Um, as a pagan, you should be um, aware of these things. And for me personally, it's very important to keep our foot and our voice in the door to make sure that the monotheistic religions are not the only ones being heard. And um, as a heathen in particular, um, even within the pagan community, the men in the prison and I personally run into a lot of discrimination because people can understand the word Wiccan or um, pagan even. And uh, personally, um, the chaplain <laughs> told me personally that she was uncomfortable with the word heathen. And I said to her, well, that's the name of my religion. I'm sorry if that makes you uncomfortable. Um, and the men I work with as well, um, because unfortunately of the white wing of my tradition, um, that we are also dealing with ignorance about if you're a heathen or an asatru, um, that you are white supremacist. So um, we work very hard to, to fight those images as well. Um, and to the point where the state calls the group of men I meet with Odinists. Now in the heathen community, if you are an Odinist in a group, um, you probably are related to the white wing of our faith as I describe it. Um, so the state actually puts a name on the men that is detrimental to them and especially if, they, if and when they come back out into community. Um, talking about the community um, in the heathens, when I look for volunteers and I reach out, I've been told by brothers and sisters of mine that they won't work with prisoners because those are the put out, they're the outcasts. Um, but what I try to express to them is those people come back out into my community and you know, helping someone facilitate their spiritual growth is an asset to my broader community. I was contacted back in 2004 to write a prisoner uh, down in Florida uh, because he was having his civil li liberties crushed, uh, was not allowed to practice his religion as a druid. Uh, this, this is such a perfect example of the whole problem. He went into prison at 18 years old. He was a drug user and an alcoholic from an abusive family. And he went on a mugging spree down in Florida, and which is a horrible thing. He was threatening people with a knife, obviously out of control, somebody who needs to be dealt with, taken, put in prison, uh, no doubt about it. Because he did this spree, which happened over a few days, um, at a place in Florida where three counties come together, it was three different crimes for uh, because of three different counties, and because of that, with the three strikes law, he got life in prison without parole. So he has no potential to ever get out of prison for mugging people with a knife at 18. Agreed, this person should go to prison. I, this, we don't want to get sappy about this. Saying, oh, the poor guy was you know, abused. And 
it, you can just be stupid about it. This person's out of control and needs to be outside of society for a while. But life without any chance of parole. This is somebody, if you murder somebody, you will have chance of parole. Uh, if you laundered billions of dollars out of the country, you will have chance of parole. If you're a pedophile, you'll have chance of parole. He's a mugger. He's got a few hundred dollars in cash and has no chance of ever being outside of a prison again. That's a horrific situation. That's something we really need to deal with. Anyways, I got this letter um, and explaining the situation that he was not allowed to um, practice. Um, I actually got the letter not from him, but from the prison, from the chaplain, that uh, they wanted clarification on when, what the high holy days and, and Druidry were, and uh, you know what are normal practices within that religion. Then um, I wrote them a letter and explained all of the to the best of my abilities. And then I started corresponding with the prisoner. He told me that in the prison that he was in, and this is a, as a druid who I think of as a priest of nature. So we spent most of our religious practices engaging directly with the forces of nature. He had not touched the earth in seven years. He'd been on concrete. He'd not stepped onto a lawn or touched a tree uh, in seven years, which was just an unbelievable thing for me to think of as uh, somebody who spends half of my life walking along the riverbank here and in the forest in beautiful southern Maine. Uh, and that is, informs my religious practices. So that was so shocking to me. I thought, I've got to do whatever I can here to, to try to pitch in and help and, and change this uh, this system. And the amazing thing is, my letter writing to the, the warden and back to the chaplain, they basically felt like, my impression was they just said, we don't want to deal with this. This is, this is uh, we don't want to change our system. We don't want to have to have uh, sessions for druids or other pagans. So what they did is they simply transferred him to a different facility. And I got a letter back saying, for the first time in seven years, he had touched a tree which was just heartbreaking and beautiful, but it was also made me think, wow, I just simply wrote a couple of letters and this person's life has changed for the better. So we can't underestimate what it is to just simply touch somebody in the prison system, just again and again, hundreds of letters from prisoners saying, you're the first person that's ever responded to any of my requests. I've written dozens of pagan groups. You're the first person that's contacted us. That was quite amazing. So I started doing the very best I could to provide information, just to write a letter uh, to say, hey, great, thanks for your your inquiry. You know, here's some answers to your questions. And it makes a huge difference. It's a very, very small thing. devotion to my gods when being asked to serve my brothers um, to go into the prison. But not everyone needs to go into the prison. There are plenty, plenty of pagan groups um, out there who need people to write letters. And I'm involved with some um, with the Troth InReach program and we get, I don't know, 50 to 100 every month and then it just goes out to anyone who wants to write a letter. And I think that's important. So you don't have to go into a prison to do ministry. For me personally, I say, oh, I'm going to my study group. It just happens to be in a prison. 
I learn just as much from the men as the information I'm giving them. Um, sharing stories, sharing academic reading, sharing, um, we do assemble every time we meet. So I get just as much um, when I walk out of there, uh, probably have another new book I have to read or some other, an edda I have to look up. Um, so for me personally, it's not just being in service, but I am getting something intellectually and spiritually from doing this work. But I really do encourage pagan brothers and sisters to do what they can in their community. So if you don't want to reach out to somebody in the prison, work on building the pagan community, period. with the people that I work with, the incarcerated gentlemen that I work with. Um, it really came about out of, out of a sense of enormous frustration with the absolute lack of support for um, anything outside the monotheistic realm. Um, and I'm talking the big three Abrahamic faiths. Um, if you were Jewish, Muslim or um, Christian, you are well taken care of. Um, there is, you know, a, an undercurrent of negativity towards Islam in the correctional system, but those rights are still respected a lot more. Um, if you're a pagan or earth-based uh, spiritualist, nobody understands it, nobody knows about it, so they turn a blind eye to it. And uh, being you know, an earth-based spiritualist myself, when I saw this and I had guys asking me, you know, once, because I'm very open about my spirituality, uh, where I work, which I'm very fortunate that that hasn't bit me in the ass more. Um, you know, essentially they started asking questions and there were questions that they couldn't ask the chaplain because the chaplain is a Christian minister and uh, you know his his view of um, when he was asked one time what a cult was his response was anything that doesn't follow the gospel of Jesus Christ so for me it was just this enormous sense of frustration and you know seeing how these guys are marginalized and their beliefs and spirituality is marginalized and just wanting to get involved in, the po in a positive way to affect real change for these people, spiritually.
issue for the Department of Corrections or for any, um, even probably the private prison system, which is a whole, whole other beast, um, is that when people gather, they become a threat group, and that's how they're viewed. Um, and it doesn't matter why they're gathering. They could be gathering because they all like flowers and want to do some horticulture together, and that will the department will tend to view that as a potential threat group if they don't outright view it as a threat group. So, you know, the department, and, and, I, and I'm gonna, I'm just gonna make this kind of a broad statement. Departments like the Department of Corrections and law enforcement in general, um, you know, are jumping at shadows a lot. Um, prisons are, can be, very dangerous places. Um, however, you know, like having this opportunity to explore uh, their spirituality and engage in some spiritual growth while they're inside is absolutely nourishing to character. I remember the very first time I went to the prison and you go through the front gate, which is all barbed wire, and it's like, this is a little weird. And then, uh, then you go through these series of portals of gates that make these gigantic clanging noises when they unlock. It's really just totally unsettling. You, you open one, you close it, you're stuck in a hallway between bars, and then the next one opens, and so on and so forth. It's the time you finally get into the population. You're completely unnerved already. But then I got out into the, the main yard, and I'm, I'm a little nervous, of course. Um, and I start looking around. I'm looking at all these guys. I'm looking in the face and looking in the eyes. And, and I realize these are just a bunch of Mainers. They're just a, these are the guys I grew up with. They're just people who screwed up. And most of them, I would say, should not be in a prison. Uh, most of them there are for drug and alcohol uh, issues. And so the fear immediately disappeared. Uh, I didn't have any fear in the prison, and I, I don't now, because most of the people are just normal guys screwed up. Um, I've encountered the worst of the worst as well. Uh, I've worked with a lot of pedophiles. I've worked with a lot of murderers. Uh, those are very disturbing. And, you know, and I've worked with them one-on-one. -on -one. And they're still just human beings. And I just, as a, my role as clergy, is just to listen and hold space and offer what I can to make life less violent, to make life more peace, to spread peace. That's, that's my role. And I just keep that in mind, and, and I, I can just set aside what the crimes were. Another thing, whenever I work with people, I don't ask what they did. I ask what they're doing going forward. What are you doing now? What are you reading? What are you doing for work as a daily spiritual practice? And what are your intentions when you get out? Do you have a family? Where are you going? All of these things uh, are, are much more important than what they've done in the past. It's really, you can't undo it. So I just see my role as one of trying to create more peace. And that includes working with the prisoners as well as working with the staff and working with my own spiritual practices in my own community outside of that. So uh, again, just to offer up to the community, remember that these are just your fellow people from your community that uh, have made some very bad choices in life, but they have a life going forward and we have to accept that and we have to try to uh, help them find a place in the world. Other than that, the violence continues.
very telling and maybe a good note to end this on that you know somebody who spent however many hundreds of hours you spent in the prison over the past decade that your fear is not of the nasty dangerous people in there but it's of the structure itself it's the power structure that is creating the fear and even you know like you said the worst of the worst that's not where the fear comes from 